Welcome to the Men Are The Prize podcast. This is a safe space for men just like you to be open, vulnerable, and emotional. Every week, a new case study steps out of his comfort zone to discuss masculinity. Using the prize mantra, we discuss important aspects of being a man. This is the who, what, where, when, and how of manhood. Welcome to Men Are the Prize, the podcast. It is I, Harvey. I am your host. I'm sweating. It's hot. And you know why it's hot? It's because we have a great guest this week. We're going to get into it, men. We're going to talk about ourselves, talk about our futures, talk about our pasts, and why we're going to be better because of it. Kellen Flukiger. Yes! Is our guest this week. I got it. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm just outrageous. I'm grateful for your energy, and I really, really want to acknowledge you on your episode, in the recording. Podcasts are a labor of love, and people that go to the effort of loving others enough to lift them, to bless them, to give them ideas, inspiration, hope, opportunity, and a place to be what you're doing. I honor that. I acknowledge it, and I'm grateful to be part of your effort. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, so why should we listen to this man? Why should we talk to him? Here's why. Coming through decades of depression, addictions, life-threatening illness, and a near-death experience, Kellen has become the ultimate catalyst to help motivated people melt barriers, move mountains, and mobilize superpowers to achieve their true desires. As a coach and keynote speaker, Kellen's masterful approach helps people get past old stories, change beliefs, and create a life context to reach even goals that seem impossible. That sounds like a good way to start. I like that bio, but I always really like to just right off the bat. If I met you on the street and I didn't get a chance to maybe look up your bio, but you had 15 seconds to tell me about you, what would you say? I would tell you that I'm a love. I would look in your eyes and be with you and love you, Harvey, as you are, where you are, as you stand. I've learned in my own experience that's the most important thing. I would make you feel welcome, valued, and like you had nothing to prove and like you were good, like you are. And it's not about if there's something about me, it's that I choose to be that person. That's good. And I think, and it's something that I don't think all men experience that feeling that we are made to feel important, present, not because of what we do but by sheerly being. Mm -hmm. So I like the idea of somebody, I like you and I respect you because that's who you are and you're standing right here. And I think that's a good start to talking. One thing I will say, I start every podcast with this. I am not trained. I can't diagnose. I can't help you with your problems in a trained fashion. This is a platform to talk, to make sure men are comfortable speaking about their emotions, about their vulnerabilities, being a, you know, being comfortable with yourself. And if nothing else, this podcast should give you the ability, the comfort to talk to somebody, to feel comfortable enough to find a friend, somebody who's a trained professional to speak to about what are issues you have. So if nothing else, be open. And I hope you get that from this podcast. And with that, sir, are you ready to begin? I am ready and here all in for you and everyone that hears us today. Fantastic. You've listened to the podcast, so you know I like the word prize. 
it represents characteristics that I think make a good man. The first letter in the word prize is P and the first word is purpose. Purpose, reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. Sir, what is your purpose? My commitment for 2022 and my purpose all day, every day, first breath to last, I've committed to help 10 million people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts. The reason that is my purpose is because I have discovered through the decades of monstros monstrosities that I've lived, which we can talk about, that our real happiness comes in serving, in loving, in discovering and leaning into who we really are, divine creations with purpose and intent. It's not about being, having more than and, and being showy and tough and cool and all the rest that we're sort of socialized to be. I did all that. I made more money than I knew what to do with. I was an addict. I was in and out of rehab. I was a failure at life. The only thing I knew how to do well was make money and there was misery. For me, that path was misery. So my purpose is to help every person I meet understand who they are. And from that understanding and really leaning into that, making a choice to be valuable, to love and to serve others. Picture for just a second a world where everybody loved on purpose. And I define love. I don't like squishy words like you. Love means... It is a verb. It is a choice to use your spiritual, physical, emotional, and mental resources to serve someone. If I do that, I love them. I like that. I like that a lot. Do you remember the exact moment you determined that was your purpose? No. What I know is I uh, was raised in an uh, abusive home and by abusive i mean it was two parents look normal middle class ish from the outside my mom got married a little bit not a little bit a lot too young and she had a particular idea about raising kids religion discipline and everything and the kind of discipline i experienced today would be felony child abuse beatings and other things that would be you know i remember wishing i would die during some of the beatings because that was the only way i imagined that she would get in trouble not because i wanted to die to escape the pain but i i knew it was wrong and i wanted somebody to do something but talking to somebody wasn't an option in my mind in those days so from that place i left home at 17 with three truths i'm not good enough the rest of my life needs to be spent proving that I am to my mother and getting back in her good graces, because after all, she has God on her side. And number three, you can't talk to anyone because this is your problem inside. And the only function counselors have is to take you away from God because they're all godless pigs. So I lived for the next 35 years, never talking to a soul, believing that I needed to prove something, particularly to my mom and not knowing how to have, be a person. It ended up making me married and divorced three times, creating huge career success and then sabotaging it, creating it again and then sabotaging it again and again and again until 2007. So that went on in that roller coaster nonsense for 35 years. In 2007, the, uh, I didn't get the purpose, but this was the divine intervention uh, in August of 2000, is this an okay place to tell this story? Go for okay, it. good. In 2007, August, I came home from work. Four of my 10 children were living with me. They were teenagers. Three were grown up and married, and three were, it's embarrassing, but with one of my ex-wives. 
Um, four were living with me. As a single dad with four teenagers. I came home on a Friday night. I was going to go party for the weekend. I was making enough money at the pinnacle of blah, 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 so that my $3,000 a week cocaine habit didn't matter. I was getting ready to go out and party for the weekend, <clears throat> and suddenly I felt compelled to turn on the TV. Now, that doesn't sound like anything, except I didn't watch TV, and it was so funny. I picked up the remote, and I looked at it, and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know how to use this. I'd had the latest and greatest stuff installed by the electronics store, because, of course, that's what you buy, right? right? But I didn't know how to use it, so I asked one of my kids, my daughter, 16-year-old daughter, she punched some buttons and threw the remote at me, dipweed, and left the room. It landed on a program called Intervention, which I'd never heard of. But for those of you that know Intervention's a reality TV show about families who stage interventions for busted loved ones. This particular one had the, a protagonist, so the real, real time, real stuff. The protagonist was a high-ranking executive with a cocaine problem. So I watched about 10 minutes and I said, yeah, I'm not watching this crap. And I turned it off and went and did something else. And I got ready to go out and then I felt compelled to turn the TV back on. Now, this time I knew how, so I turned it on, and that program started over. And no, I don't have a DVR, and no, it wasn't on the schedule, and no, it can't do that. I get it. It did. It scared the crap out of me, and I thought, oh, man, I guess I'm supposed to watch it. So I watched it. It went really badly. The guy yelled at his family, stomped out of the intervention, said he didn't have a problem, and you know the drill, right? But it and so it ended and it freaked me out enough that I didn't go out to party. I went to bed. When I went to bed, I went to hell. And what I mean by that is I went somewhere. I don't know. It felt out of body. I was in a large, dark room that felt like a theater. And I heard voices and there was a stage. And the parade of things that went on the stage really slowly, not fast, were scenes from my life. But they were all focused on suffering. The suffering that I had experienced and been inflicted on me as a kid, all the way up to the suffering I had inflicted on everybody else as a lousy marriage partner, a drug addict, and all the rest, a liar and everything else I'd been. And the experience of that time was the most intense pain. I, I do not have the language to describe the pain that I experienced during that time. After a long time, a voice simply said, it is enough. I woke up. And it was weird because the sun was shining in the window and uh, the windows faced west. And it's like, huh? So I got up and realized it was 5 o'clock Saturday afternoon. I'd been somewhere for nearly 18 hours. And I got up and realized, okay, I've been invited to change. I have no idea how to do this. I have no idea where to start or what to do. None at all. But I'm done with this. So I threw away $1,000 worth of stuff that I had laying around. So I always had that and knew I had to get out of the whole business I was in and just start all over, but I didn't know exactly how to do that. So that got me sober in one day, 3000 bucks a week to zero. That's it. I'm done. Cold turkey straight up. But I didn't do anything about the problem about how I got there, which was this depression and struggle about not being good enough. So that shoe fell two weeks later. Oh, in the position I had, one of the benefits of the position was I used to get a lot of free stuff. I had an important position, and people wanted to be nice to Kellen. So CEOs and other companies, they would give me free tickets to this, expensive bottles of booze and all this crap like I needed more booze. And I was single, and so one of the things I got was a pair of tickets to see Yo-Yo Ma. Now, if you know classical music, you know who that is, and if you don't, that's fine. But in the classical world, that's, ah, 
right? And I'm like, okay, wow. And then I thought, oh, wow, I'd be ashamed to waste this other ticket because I was single. And so I asked in the groups that I managed, I said, anybody like classical music? And some lady in one of the groups said, well, I do. And I said, well, have I ever given you anything before? And she said, uh, no. I said, okay, fine, see you there. So I gave her the ticket. We met at the venue, and a concert was spectacular, like it should be. And now at the concert, got to remember, I'm two weeks, stone cold sober. Halfway through the show, this voice came to me, and I recognized the feeling from two weeks before. And the voice said, <clears throat> you need to marry this woman. And I said, you're insane. I've screwed that up three times, officially, with some other messes in between. That is not happening. And later that night, we were backstage, because not only were they tickets, they were backstage passes and a reception and the whole nine yards. The voice came back to the, yeah, <clears throat> comma, and you need to tell her tonight. And I thought, okay, she can have me arrested for harassment, first of all. Second of all, I don't even know if she has a boyfriend. I mean, like, I do not know. I, like, no. And you don't win those arguments. So I did. And it went about like you would have expected. Are you out of your mind? What are you talking about? Are you insane? And she left, but she didn't call the cops. So that was the good part. But within the next two weeks, she had her own set of experiences and she resigned her lucrative career. I walked away from millions of dollars of contracts and we walked off into the sunset together. And six months ago, we celebrated our 14th wedding anniversary. So... The, the, it's an incredible story, but the reason it matters is because the other shoe, she was literally the angel that was sent to help me learn how to be a person, learn how to do the things you're encouraging men to do, tell the truth, have a friend, be a friend. I'd never done any of that, and I was 52 years old. And so she decided, she, she found me shrink, she looked up counselors, she, you know, she said, I'm doing this. And I've asked her a thousand times, what on earth possessed you? To walk away from this career and off into the sunset with a drug addict. I mean, everybody knew. They didn't know, but they knew, you know, rumors and stuff. She said, I just knew to the core of my soul that it was the right thing to do. <clears throat> so the lessons from this piece of purpose, and that was the beginning. So I walked away from that career. I started a coaching business, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, with the one commitment to help people with the things that I'd been through. And here are the things to know. You're valuable. I don't care how old you are, what you've been through. It's never too late. You're important, okay? And there's always a way to take control. Now, I got a couple of really loud invitations, uh, two by fours, maybe because I'm so stupid or thick-headed, I don't know. But I had to say yes. I had to say, okay, I'm going to walk off into the, walk off this cliff and see what happens because I choose to believe this. I've ch I'm done with this. I'm done with this other way. I've led my own life. I've made a lot of money, big dog, this, that, and the other. I'm miserable. I'm an addict. I'm a three-time failure at marriage. I don't know how to be a person. I don't feel anything. I don't know how to tell the truth even to myself. I haven't done this very well. So now I'm going to get on my hands and knees and pray. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to go see counselors. I'm going to tell the truth to this, to this woman and be a person. Why am I going to do that? Because the way I've been doing it sucks. So that was the beginning of the 15 years that have, I, I have this phone noise, sorry. No problem. I, there, turn the volume off. Um, uh, I have this purpose now to help people do that and not just help them, oh gee, I run around helping people. It's, it's with very clear understanding about who you are, your value, 
And it doesn't matter where you've been. It's time to take control of your life. Stop blaming others in circumstance. I could have blamed my mom forever. I don't feel anything about my mom. I love her. She did whatever she could at the time. She didn't wake up saying, I'm going to ruin my kid. So I don't hold anything. And from that, I've come to a place where I hold no anger, bitterness, or judgment toward anyone for anything, including myself. It's gone. So that's a long answer to your P question. <laughs> Did you have a hard time giving yourself value, feeling like you were important? That was a years long process. I mean, Joy, oh, I didn't tell you the best part. Her name is Joy. Like you can't make this up, okay? Her name is Joy, okay? I hear you, that's right. great. So Joy and I had to get to know each other. Like we didn't know each other and we just, had both had this experience of this is the right thing to do. And so, you know, some people go into relationships to see if it'll work for her and me, it was ride or die right out of the box. Right. It's okay. this is ride or die. I'm not doing this again. And so we went into it with that kind of commitment. Uh, we're going to figure it out no matter what ride or die. So yes, I had to learn how to do all that. Yes. It was hard. Yes. It was scary. Yes. It, I made lots of mistakes. We had to literally get to know each other and, you know, lots of failures and lots of clumsiness. And, you know, there was no magic carpet. We were still two people and we didn't even know each other very well at all. Some mild acquaintance at the office and that was it. And so, yes, it was difficult. Yes, it was, you said it was hard to give me value. I'd spent my whole life getting external validation, believing that the only way I was okay is if somebody said so. And the better and the more of those there were, then the more I was okay. And that is the biggest, I don't know, the one of the biggest three or four lies that we believe. You're a child of the divine. Call it a child of the universe, child of God, however you want to express that. That is a fact. You can ignore that which I used to do for a long time, or you can lean into that. You can use it in a voyage of discovery and choose to serve with everything you have, even if it's a little tiny postage stamp, then do that. So yeah, it was horrible to give myself value. I, it manifested in my business. I started a coaching practice and I thought, here's how. I walked away from all that and I thought, what do I know how to do? Well, I've spent the last 10 years as a very highly paid consultant helping people do things they didn't believe they could do. Because when there were billions on the table and a lot of mad people, oh, we better call Kellen. Kind of like better call Saul, that was it. Billions on the table and mad people, holy crap. Yeah, Kellen can figure this out. So I did that in the U.S. and Canada, lots of places. So, but that was that thing over there. When I started trying to sell coaching, that wasn't a thing over there. You know, some other issue, you know, I'm going to be your coach. And that meant I had to believe I could do something. And so, yeah, that was horrifying. I sucked at it to start with. And today I have zero problem. My coaching practice is booming and I have no problem at all. But this is in the process of learning not how to sell, not how to prove I'm cool, learning to love myself. That's the key question. If you don't give yourself value, if you don't feel valuable, the answer is really simple. And you can be mad at me if I say it. You don't love yourself. 
Go to work on that. Everything else will follow. Yes, sir. Well said. The next letter in the word prize, it is R and the word is resilience. The capacity to recover quickly from difficulties, toughness. I feel like you kind of went into it, but if you wouldn't mind elaborating on something or if it's the whole expanse of experiences, what was it that showed you, you know what? I went through a lot of crap. I went through so much, but I'm tough enough where I can handle it and I can start over. I can bounce forward and I can be better. What helped you discover you had it? Um, it, it you, uh, I didn't discover anything. It's a choice. I'm a child of God. I refuse to have a life here and go back home empty-handed and go back home with excuses. It was hard. I had all these things happen to me. I'm just not going to do that. When I say home, I mean back home when we die. I'm not doing that. I screwed up, but if, if God cared enough to give me that invitation after that mensch mess, after that many struggles, I mean, if there was ever a candidate to be left at the bottom of the canyon, I was it. But the invitation came. I said yes and tried. And so resilience is a choice. It's simply a choice to stand up one more time than you fall. You're going to fall. You're going to fail spectacularly. You're going to be embarrassed. You're going to be rejected. You can have a story that that destroys you, or you can have a story that that's just a thing that happened and I'm going to do something else, or I'm going to try again, or I'm going to go on, or I'm going to learn and say, hmm, that sucked. I'm not going to do that again. Okay, fine. So yeah, I had that happen and I, since that time in this 15 years of building a coaching practice, I was never a sickly person. I was always in great shape. I have a second degree black belt, did some competitive martial arts, you know, all that kind of stuff. Since this time, I've had emergency gallbladder surgery. I've had um, another couple of bad hospitalizations. I was in the hospital for 10 days with heart problems, which then resolved themselves. And then on top of all that, I died. Four years ago, so 11 years after that, in 2018, I contracted a fatal illness and died. And six months after that, it came back and tried again. And I, don't, I say it, meaning a disease doesn't think. But if there were someone orchestrating uh, adversarial resistance, then they came back for another swing at the bat. And so when I, so resilience is critical, but you don't dig it up in the yard. You don't go find it. It's a choice you make. You get up in the morning and you say, this is who I am. I'm a person who keeps doing this. I don't care if it works today or not. I do it. Why? Because I said so. The most powerful words in the world are not what you think. I mean, the beautiful words are I love you and everything else. But the most powerful words about commitment, because I said so. That's it. Why do you do that? Why do you? Because that's who I declared myself to be. Because I said so. Not it's expected. I don't have to. Have to is a horrible word. I don't live with any obligations at all. I have no obligation. I have a boatload of commitments. And I love them. And I choose them. And I lean into them. It's a choice. Understood. Understood. I skipped the I. I saved that for the last part of this questioning. 
The next letter is Z. The word is zeal. Zeal is enthusiastic devotion. And I feel like I'm feeling this zeal this whole time we're talking. <laughs> but allow, allow me to ask, what are you enthusiastically devoted to? 10 million people to discover, develop, and serve their divine gifts in this year, 2022. I have a podcast like you do. I've got nearly 700 episodes. I have a YouTube channel with hundreds of videos. I'm very active on Facebook. I have group coaching. I teach people how to write books. I teach people how to overcome their stories. I teach them to accept and lean into who they are and accomplish impossible results. I, and, and I do everything I can to, to get to that 10 million, and I will. And I don't, people ask me, what do you do on vacation or what do you do for fun? I don't know. First breath to last, this person you see here now on this show is Kellen. If you met me anywhere else, it would still be me. Same dude. First breath to last every single day. And it didn't come accidentally. The trials and struggles have just you know, made me more determined, more determined. Why? Because I said so. I don't have to prove anything. I got nothing to prove. I have everything to give. I have nothing to prove. And so I have a set of statements, long, long pages of things that I mess with all the time. And they're not just affirmations. They're declarations about who I am in the world. And they start with, I am a beacon of light. I am a vessel of love. I am a conduit of power. I am a son of almighty God. I am at cause. I choose my thoughts and create my feelings, spirit, body, and circumstance. Why? Because I said so. I love it is. You make me happy. I'm just, your energy is like, it's shooting at me through the laptop. <laughs> I love it. And your words are even better. Your energy is fantastic. Um, the next letter in the word prize, E, and it is expectation. So I usually ask a kind of chronological question. What do you expect of yourself in one, five, and 10 years? You've already explained what you want to get done within this, in the year. Five years from now, where are you? What are you doing? 10 years from now, same question. So it's interesting. <clears throat> I'm 66. On my 66th birthday last December, I had this epiphany. I realized that I'd reached the top of the mountain. And what I mean by that is the middle of my life. So for the next 66 years, and I'm going to live till I'm 132. I'm going to help people discover, develop, and serve with their divine gifts. I've written 16 books. I have six underway. I'm going to help a whole bunch of more people write books. I'm going to reach more people. I speak on stages now. I'm going to find more. I'm going to do what I'm doing now to invite as many people as I can to love themselves, to get the help they need, to talk to people, to be vulnerable and to op be open and to be a human, to be a, a, a meaningful contributor. Why? Because you said so. You don't need any other reason. You said so. This is who I am. I declare it. And so what I expect has strengthened 11 years 
11 years. So, so four years ago this month, Joy and I decided to go on a cruise, and we'd never been on a cruise before, and so she found one and thought it would be fun. We went on the Baltic Sea, which is over there in Eastern Europe by the Baltic states, no surprise. So we visited Helsinki and Oslo and Tallinn, Estonia, and St. Petersburg, which, of course, will never happen again. But all, and, you know, at the end of that cruise, I got sick. And in Oslo, on the way home, I was very sick. And that was a Monday, day one. And the days will matter in a minute. And day two, we went to Amsterdam and then flew home. And I was sick. And today, on a plane, if I was that sick, they'd throw you out the window. In those days, they just brought you ice and towel and they took care of you. Um, <clears throat> I was not contagious, by the way, it turns out. Got home on Tuesday night and I was just thinking, this is not good, but I'll get over it. Dumb idea, but I did. So Wednesday and Thursday, I stayed in bed, canceled all my coaching appointments, etc. Friday, it was so bad, I thought, I got I to gotta do something. So I went to the walk-in clinic. We live in Canada now, but Joy and I are both dual nationals. We lived in Phoenix for a number of years. And now we're, we came up in 2016 to uh, take care of her mom, who's 90-something and lives with her. She can't live alone. Anyway, so I finally went to the clinic, and they wouldn't let me in. Uh, the nurse took a look at me and said, you can't come in. We can't do anything for you here. Go to ER right now. So Joy drove me to the emergency room and at the University of Alberta in, uh, here in Edmonton. It's a very good medical school. Anyway, I went to the emergency room, and, you know, you go to emerge. It might take an hour. It might take two. It might even take three. depends on how many people are there and all that stuff. So I'm figuring I'm going to wait. And uh, when I got in there in 10 minutes, I was in a private room. I didn't even know they had private rooms in emergency. The only thing I'd ever seen is those little curtain partitions. I'm in a room with a door, and it's closed. Like, what? And in 10 more minutes, the doctor's in there all over me. And they're asking what, what happened, what he did, over and over and over again. They start doing tests. And he said, yeah, we're going to admit you to the hospital. There's no question about that. So after a while, I sent Joy home because we have cats and dogs and take care of them. And I told her, you know, come back tomorrow, Saturday morning. We'll, they'll admit me and we'll figure out what's going on. They're doing all these tests and stuff. So I more go here, go there, do this, test this, test that, repeated the story of the cruise and everywhere I'd been. They were trying to figure out where I'd been, what I might have, and what in the world was wrong. And every time they came back, it was worse news. Uh, you know, you're, you're sick. Yeah, I know that. You have pneumonia. Yeah, okay, no surprise. It's really bad. Yeah, okay. It's in both lungs. Oh, crap. Okay, so anyway, after a while, <clears throat> they admitted me, up, and I came upstairs to a room, and they kept coming in. Uh, finally, they said, well, you have horrifying pneumonia, bad as we've ever seen, ever. But something else is wrong. We're not sure. <clears throat> then they came back and said, uh, yeah, we're going to have to move you to intensive care. And I'm like, okay. And then they came back after a while. Yeah, we're going to put you in uh, biological isolation. So think double doors, airlock, hazmat, safety level four. Think that. <clears throat> I'm like, Ooh. And then they came back and said, um, <clears throat> ask the question you never want to hear. And they said, uh, do we have permission to intubate you and do anything we need to do to preserve your life? And I'm like, what? Okay. And, and then they left and I uh, <clears throat> took out my phone and I realized I was trembling. I was trembling so badly I could hardly move, hold it. So I, I sat down, or I was in a bed. I laid, laid down, and I went into meditation. 
because I've been a meditator all my life. Five of the books I wrote were on meditation. Anyway, so I went into meditation for a while, and then I realized I could feel my body and spirit separating. It felt like I was unzipping. I could feel a disconnection, and I thought, holy crap, I'm dying. So then I, I came out of meditation. I sent Joy a text, and it, I could barely operate the phone at this point, and it had three lines. First line said, I see you. The second line said, isolation slash intubation. And the third line was, I may be dying. She didn't see it because she was asleep. At three in the morning or so, she got a call from the hospital, the one you never want to get. And they said, uh, are you coming? And she said, what? And then she saw my text. So somewhere in that mess, I crashed. Code blue, green, orange, black, whatever it is. Flat line, whatever. And so I died. And my heart stopped. And... In that time, uh, I came to uh, energetically, spiritually, and I was horizontal like I was on the bed. And I sat up, and I was in a gray room. And by gray, I mean it was a little bit foggy. I couldn't really see how big it was. The ceiling, floor, walls, everything was just sort of that really soft photocard gray, right? And uh, over my right, left shoulder, I mean, I could see a door. A doorway, it didn't have a door in it, but it was a doorway. And I wanted, I wanted to be at that door. So then I'm standing at the door and I'm leaning on the door jamb on the right, my, my right shoulder. And uh, looking across, and the other side of the doorway was white. And uh, the light wasn't streaming through, but it was gray on my side and white on that side. And then I realized it was someone standing on the other side on that door jamb across from me, right there, like this close. And he looked at me and he said, <clears throat> do you want to come home? And in less than a heartbeat, because my heart wasn't beating at that point, um, I knew who, who I was talking to, where I was, what the question meant, and what was going on. Like this was the door to eternity, and the question was from God asking me if I wanted to come home. And I, uh, we talked about it for a while. I talked about everything I'd been doing and all the stuff. Uh, and finally I said, um, I'm not done. Because it had been near, nearly 11 years since that other thing I told you about. <clears throat> and he said, okay. So I'm quite sure that's when they were able to restart my heart. That was not the end, though. The next day, and people always ask, how do you know it was the next day? I don't know. You just know. So the next day, I'm standing back at the door, exactly the same. There we are. So the question the previous day wasn't brought up. And he asked, okay, what are you going to do? And so then there was a long conversation that spawned the contents of a different book, I wrote a book, Meeting God at the Door, Conversations, Choices, and Commitments of a Near-Death Experience. And then I wrote another book, which is part of this second conversation called The Book of Context. Why that's important for your audience is context is the set of beliefs that you hold. I call it a context straitjacket. It's your beliefs, definitions, experiences, expectations, and perceptions. It's what you think you're worth, what you can have, what's possible, all that stuff. And we live in this context straitjacket. That limits what we think we can have and all that stuff. And it's not true. It's just what we think. So the book of context is written about how to change those beliefs. And it came in that second conversation. And the story's a lot longer than that, but I don't want to keep talking forever. And then there was a third day and a third conversation. And then uh, that third day was just one question again. Uh, are you sure? 
and I panicked a little bit. I thought, what do you mean, am I sure? Ah, am I stupid? Did I miss something? What? Am I sure? So we talked that through, and finally I said I was sure. Nothing was said, but that conversation ended with a finality, and I knew we were done. And then I came, I was in a coma for two more weeks. I was in a coma for 17 days after they revived me. So that's the story and my expectation in E is that 10 million grows to 20 to 50. And I have the opportunity to reach you and everybody you know, not because I need anything, because I don't. But I want to encourage you to love yourself and lean into your gifts. Okay. Thank you for that. The last letter in the word prize. And I feel like you beat me to my questions because you're just, you know, effusive and I appreciate it. The last letter in the word prize is I. I don't pick a word because I think the I is enough. So for me, you've discovered or you know your purpose, you know you're resilient, you know what you love, and you know what you expect of yourself. When all of that's done, when you have all of that, or when you strip it all away and it's just you, who are you? Who I'm a son you? of God with gifts and talents and a mission. I'm called to live every day as a beacon of light, a vessel of love and a conduit of power with nothing to prove and everything to give. From that place, I fearlessly and joyfully imagine and create to add good to the world and serve every single person I meet in every way I can and love them freely, which means to use every spiritual, physical, emotional, mental resource I have to serve them. So I love my clients and I love every one of your listeners with all my heart. I acknowledge who you are as a divine being. And the fact that I've had all this weird stuff happen doesn't mean I'm important. It doesn't mean anything at all. It might, if anything, mean I'm slow because I had to have a lot of noise to wake up. I said no to a lot of invitations. So that's who I am, and it is because I said so. And I don't even care what anybody thinks when I say all that. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but I only have to answer to me and to God. And the gifts that God gave you and me are what we got coming here. What we make out of ourselves is all that we take back as our gift to him. So this podcast is very much, like I mentioned earlier, space for men, comfort, vulnerability, accountability, all this. But this last year or two has been kind of a tough one. We've had a lot going on. So as we kind of kind of wind down here, I'm going to ask you for this. Obviously, you have a business and you help people. And I'm sure we can kind of ease into this. But I'm going to give you an example of a man. I have dreams desires. I have a relationship. I have a job that I don't entirely love. I'm not sure I'm doing what I want. I want to do things, but COVID threw me off. I'm not really happy in my relationship. Spiritually, I don't know where I am. I don't really feel like I have a place in this world. And I'm at a point where I can either find the right thing or I can go in the wrong direction. So if I come to you right now, and this is where I am, I am distraught. I'm really wondering what I am and where I'm going. What do you say to that man? I love you. I understand what that feels like, although I do not know what you are going through right now. Uh, 
And if what I would really like is the opportunity to just listen to you as you tell me all the things that you are doing and have done and want, your aspirations and your dreams. And from that place, when I hear who you are in your own mind right now, that lets me see your context straitjacket. It lets me hear and identify really clearly the beliefs, stories, experiences you have that are keeping you locked up where you are because you're an infinite creator. Those are facts. That's where you came from. You, like me, may are, with the st what you just told me, you're stuck in a story. You can't have this, don't know what to do. Well, I, yes, I can help, but I can't do anything until I talk to you. I don't know. So I, I don't have a, a thing. Yes, I teach people to love themselves, and yes, there are processes to do that. But there's no one-size-fits-all. Oh, you are size 12? Okay, here you go. I, I need to hear you. I need to talk to you. I need to see you all the way to the core of your soul. Let's talk about it. Let me help you be safe and vulnerable and bleed a little on the floor. And then we can see what to do from that place. Okay. Excellent conversation. One of these listeners or somebody who's been watching this wants to reach you and wants to talk to you and wants to find themselves. How do they get to you? How do we find you? Well, I have a, my name is Kellen Flukiger. I can't hide. There's only two in the world and the other one's my son. So if someone can't find me, they're not looking or they're spelling my name wrong. So if you spell my name right, you can't, you can find me Facebook, Amazon, books, music, Spotify, uh, LinkedIn, YouTube. Okay. And I have something fun and free. I have a, uh, a, a course, and there's a free part called Live Without Fear. Livewithoutfear.ca, because it's in Canada. Livewithoutfear.ca. Okay, there's something. And I have, there's a ton of free stuff on YouTube and Facebook and everywhere else. But Live Without Fear is something really important for our time here now with you know, economics and inflation and can't get baby formula and war in Ukraine. That war in Ukraine's up close and personal for us. My wife's Ukrainian, her dad was born in Odessa. She, he was a first generation, escaped from Stalin kind of person, right? So our two bits for that is we've got a family living with us. We invited one of the refugee families over and so they've been here a few weeks, a mother and her daughter, to get out of the country. And so that's another little piece of our doing because that's who we are, <laughs> right? And so if you want to do it, livewithoutfear.ca or connect with me on social media. Fantastic. Sir, thank you very much for bringing your energy, your positivity, bringing it to this podcast. I am sure that whenever somebody listens to this, they, they're going to feel the energy. They're going to feel the positivity. So it was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. And again, I want to honor you for the work you're doing. The podcast's work is a labor of love and bless your heart for the good you're adding to the world. I appreciate that. Thank you to everyone who watched and listened to Men of the Prize, the podcast where your inner monologue is revealed. I hope you enjoy the episode and I hope you do something better with yourself. And you know why you're going to do something better with yourself? Because you said so. You have a great day. See you next week.
Thank you for listening to the Men Are the Prize podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow Harvey on the gram at Men of Zealous Nature or on Twitter at MenZealous. Have a great week and never forget, you are a man and you are the prize.